One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to episode number 41 of Tell Me Your Tales. This week's episode is with Josh Harris. Josh is a bit of a regular on the podcast. Uh, You can go back and check out his story in podcast number one. Josh was the very first guest to come and tell me your tales. And without Josh, I'm, uh, I'm not sure how this podcast would have ever launched back there in the early days. Josh is also featured on podcast number three after he ran the qualifying time for the world champs at the Lake BY Marathon and he also featured on episode number 19 when we spoke to him after he got selected to run for Australia at the world champs in London and on episode number 26 when we were down at the Launceston 10k and had a bit of a chat to Josh there as well. Um, This episode, if you haven't listened to the other ones, I do really suggest you go back and listen to those ones first because this week's show is all about Josh's experience at the World Championships over in London for the marathon. Uh, The ups and downs of that, Josh had an amazing kind of training leading in, an excellent result at the Gold Coast Half Marathon uh, just before he flew out to a training camp in Berlin and then St. Moritz. And then got the devastating news that 16 days before the race that he had a stress fracture in his foot. Um, yeah, if you know Josh and you know how hard he grinds in training and his his kind of performances over the last couple of years and really just missing some qualifying time. So for him to then have this last hiccup at the very last moment uh, was pretty shattering. So we kind of talk through that. We talk about everything to do with world champs and what they eat to where they stay to how the warm-up works, to mixing it with some of the best athletes in the world, Mo Farah, for example, and Usain Bolt. Um, So Josh really opens up and is very honest in this chat. I really hope you enjoy it. Once again, thanks to Josh for his time. Um, He's still over in London now. You can hear he's a bit croaky. I think he's had a few big nights on the uh, beers over there. That's all for me. Enjoy this chat with Josh Harris, and I'll talk to you next week. Cheers. Radio, Josh Harris, welcome to Tell Me Your Tales again. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Good to be here. I was just trying to work out how many times this has been. So this would be the fourth time, wouldn't it? I think the fourth, yeah, and I, I would have had a few other mentions along the way as well. Oh yeah, get mentioned in every episode. We always uh, we always try to get our Josh Harris men- mentions in there, so um, that's good because you were like the original. You were the very first episode. 
Yeah, that's it. Number one and number three as well, I think. Yeah, and then after being Lonnie Ma. Kent. Yep, that's yep. right. So um, a bit's happened since then. Yeah, absolutely. We had the World Champs Marathon last week, and it was, it's a story that, that I'll be able to tell for um, years to come, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, um, last time I did see you in person, though, was just after the Gold Coast Marathon. You'd just done the half marathon. I'd just pace the ladies in the um, full marathon for the first 35K. So do you want to maybe take us all the way back there? Because I know you haven't been back to Tassie since then, correct? Yeah, that's right. So went up to the Gold Coast, uh, ran a 104.55 half marathon up there. Uh, So it was a big PB and... Um, I felt like it was a good run, but there was probably a little bit more in me on that day. Maybe maybe a 104.30 had there been someone kind of driving the pace on the, the second half that day. But from there, I flew over to Berlin for a week um, and then uh, into St. Moritz in Switzerland for three weeks and then into London um, three days before the race last Sunday. Okay, let's go back to Berlin. Talk me through the kind of... That was almost your mini training camp over in Berlin, wasn't it? Yeah. Like yeah, you chose so to I, go there. You were there solo. You and your Xbox, is that correct? Yeah, the PlayStation, PlayStation. was there. So, yeah, I, I wanted to get away um, to Europe as soon as possible, um, especially with the weather back home being pretty cold at the time. And, and I also knew that I was going to be with people constantly for the next, like, six weeks or so. And... You know, I'm someone that spends a fair bit of time solo, so I thought, no, I'll, I'll take a week off on my own, and then, um, and then I'll get into the camps and stuff with the other people. So, in Berlin, um, kind of got over the the jet lag pretty quickly, and kind of that was combined with the post race fatigue, um, and I was able to get a really good week out of training there. Took one of your CRs. Yeah, um, I did notice that at Tear Garden there, one of my favourite training places. Yeah, and then, but probably the find of the trip was the little airport strip that um, Courtney Carter recommended to me. So I got some really good runs out there, and that was that was one that um, was definitely a winner in my eyes. Yeah, so I'm going to get a bit selfish here because I'm going to be spending a week in Berlin before the Berlin Marathon. I um I saw Courtney recommend that on Strava, and then I looked it up myself. It looks amazing. Tell me about it. Yeah, it's just just like a road. Um, there's a six to seven k uh, loop loop around the outside. It's a it's a um what's the word uh, an abandoned airstrip kind of thing. Used to be an airport. Yeah. Um. Then so you've got that circle around the outside, and then you've also got two two k long runways um, running either way. Um. It's yeah. It's a good place to travel overseas and go for a run. You know, you can often find it. A little bit boring or a little bit repetitive going back to the same places but when you when you've got somewhere where you can tick off like quite a few k's at a good pace at the same time then it's not a bad spot for two or three runs and it's pretty populated like a lot of the locals are getting around there and exercising or is it just a yeah pretty lonely spot yeah. to be doing sessions no no heaps of bikes and stuff out there um on the the couple of sunny days i went there were heaps of people um, but you don't really notice because it's just so wide and, and big. Um, there weren't many people on the rainy day that I did my session out there, though, from memory. And have they got, like, K markers and stuff on the on the tracks and stuff? Like, is it pretty um, set up for exercise? The, they're not K markers specifically, but there are some, like, little 
Oh, there are on the runways, actually. Um, so the 2K runways tick off every couple of hundred metres. Um, around the outside, there's a couple of little markings, but it depends where you start and which which exact part of the loop you take. So um, it's not there's not kind of one specific way that everyone goes. There's a few kind of different choices. Yeah, right. And um, I'm just looking at your Strava now, 208K week off the back of uh, travelling to the other side of the world and a 64-minute half marathon. That's uh, got to be ticking a lot of boxes. Yeah, at that point, I was I was absolutely stoked to get 208. I didn't think it would quite be that high. And that um, that long run on the Sunday that week was, was brilliant. Like, I felt so strong. Um, that was definitely one of the best runs that I did for the whole preparation. Yeah, and even, like, that 90-minute tempo you did over there at, you know, 321k pace, That's uh, that would have given you a lot of confidence. Yeah, yeah, definitely, like, as you guys talk about as well, 320 is a bit of a number that um, for training times and stuff like that. And you know, I was I was pretty comfortable out there that day. And um, th- so to run 321s for that tempo was was a good sign. Yeah, right. So then talk me through the the trip to from Berlin to Saint Moritz. Yeah, so I um I flew into Milan, spent a night in Milan, and then met um, Jess Trengove. Who and a guest as well on Tell Me Your Tales and finished ninth um, at Worlds the other day. So met her at Milan Airport and then we grabbed a hire car and and made our way to Saint Moritz, which which is about three hours away. Um, and then yes, spent had the next twenty three days there at altitude trying to prepare for Worlds. Yeah, and how high is it over there? Um, seventeen to eighteen hundred meters. Yeah, and how'd you find it? Oh, the the running there is is amazing. It's easily become my number one favourite spot in the world to run. Um, the I yeah, well, the first half of the trip, I was just enjoying every run, um, loving life, running with big groups. Um, you know, Jess was there. There was a couple of um, her. Oh, there was Eloise who ran the 5 and 10K, one of her Melbourne Track Club teammates, and then there were like the Bowman Track Club as well. They were up there, so was able to do some runs with some of those guys. And, um, yeah, St. Moritz is definitely somewhere that I want to go back to, that's for sure. So why? What made it so good? Like you're just talking the terrain or the trails or the people or the like just the chilled lifestyle, or why? Like I guess compare it to Falls Creek for me. Yeah, so... So Falls Creek is just like a little village, obviously. Um, so we actually stayed like 4K away from St. Moritz in a little place called Celerina. So th- there are little towns, say, every 4 or 5K, and there are just trails that are just running through all these towns, and it doesn't matter where you're staying. Um, the scenery is just the nicest thing in the world. Like you, you go out for an easy jog, and you're just greeted with the most beautiful mountains, lakes, um, all that kind of stuff. It's it's sunny every day almost. We had one bad weather day the whole time we were there. Um, so and the trails are just um, countless and endless. And that's that's from someone preparing for world champs. Let alone the the mountainous trails that you could take to to um, cover some of the mountains nearby as well. Um, and then for someone like me who likes to 
to hone in and a pace on a good kind of loop, there was a, a really good little 5K or so um, airport strip that the race walkers tend to uh, do all their training on as well. Yeah, yeah, and that training week as well, like that was, um, I'm just skimming through it now, pretty solid as well. Yeah, uh, 227 that one, and at that point, um, everything was going great. I um, backed up backed up a 70-minute tempo on the Saturday, which I was really happy with, 322 pace, um, with a, a long run, not a super hard long run on the Sunday, but I just felt so good, and 406 pace, that long run was after a hard day, and it just came really easy. Yeah, were you the, noticing the altitude, like the breathing and stuff, or tackling it pretty well? Yeah, actually, I think the difference was that I came in the fittest I'd been going up to a stinted altitude, so the altitude didn't really affect things. My heart rate early on on the trip was was like really kind of low and not much different to back home. The only differences were that the sessions were slightly slower um but that and a little bit harder as well than than what they would be back home yeah i want to um touch on what you do during the days when you're up there of course you can check strava and it um you can kind of see what you're doing for two hours worth of running for each day but what does a general day up at altitude look like when you're preparing for the world champs yeah so um you'd wake up i'd pretty much um do a couple of little pre-activation kind of activities and then get straight into the morning run which would be the main run of the day um, then afterwards it would it would occasionally be a um, little bit of shopping or um, hanging around to, to watch some of the other guys train occasionally jump in some of the cold water um, for a bit of recovery then head home have breakfast in the sun um, pretty chilled out really and then um, you know, I bought my PlayStation there because I thought that there'd be a fair bit of downtime, but things just tend to happen. Like, one day you might have a massage in that middle part of the day. One day, um, if it's an easy day, we may we may drive down across the border to Italy and, and grab a coffee, check out some sites. Um, just little things like that that we did, um, you know, semi-frequently while we're there. And then before you know it, the afternoon run ticks ticks by and um, get that done and then pretty much into dinner chill out and then bed and repeat yeah just keep keep going day in day out pretty much hey um some of these people you're running with are pretty credentialed uh shailene flanagan pretty notable who else were you with yeah so did a few runs with there was shailene um emily infield who ran really <laughs> well yeah um Susan Crummins, who is in awesome shape as well, like her 5K heat, she looked easy. Um, Courtney, who won silver, she was there too. Who, um, in, in the, the steeple, steeple yeah. And she ran a 17-second PB. Um, oh, so I watched that this morning when I was getting ready for park run. It was an amazing race. It was. I was there at the track. It was one of the craziest races I reckon I've seen. But um, um, Evan Jay was there. Um, Jess Trengo got ninth. Like I'm just ticking off all these names of people <laughs> who have performed the last week. And um, oh, what's that like? That like you're talking to them, or they giving you nothing, or um, yeah, talk me through. Is there a bit of ego going on? Oh no, there's not much ego. So for me, it was basically like just running with a group of up to ten girls. So like 
they they were talking and they were talking to each other, but for me it was a little bit hard personally to to get in on the conversation. So I was I was just kind of enjoying the fact that I was running with some elite company and and that I'd get some photos and the boys back home would love it. Um, <laughs> but there weren't that many conversations between us. Plenty of photos with the shirt off. I'm noticing as well. Yeah, well, it, weather was good. It wasn't too hot, but at all, it was probably max of 20 degrees, but the sun there was just really good. Well, it's kind of similar to Falls Creek a bit, isn't it? When you go up there, it's only 20, 21, but it still gets that heat off the sun. Yeah, exactly right, mate. Um, okay, so then everything's going well. We're banging out these big 200K weeks, and then we land a bit dodgy on the foot. Yep. Tell me about yeah. that. Yeah. So it was on a Friday. I had a, a probably my most key session for the whole trip planned. It was going to be the the 30 minutes at marathon pace, four by five minutes hard, 30 minutes at marathon pace. I love that session. So I, I haven't done it all yet, but I love it, the bits of that session I've done that you've recommended before. Yep. So I'm I'm running along. I'm I'm about nine minutes in. I'm. Looking down at my watch, I'm way under my, my kind of pace that I thought I'd be running, and I felt feeling really good. And then, for whatever reason, I, I've had I've came down on my foot from a really high angle, on like right up of the ball near the toes um, of my foot, and it's just landed really strangely. And a whole heap of pain has just shot through my foot at that point, and you know, I, I tried to take one step after that and kind of like my foot collapsed on me. It kind of had nothing in there. And I was like, oh, crap, um, what's what's happened here? Um, so I tried to stretch it out a bit and um, it didn't really work. And I was like, mm, okay, this is this is a bit interesting because I've, I've had a, a bit of a dodgy foot um, for the last three or four years um, where I get a bit of pain prior to warming up and um but as soon as i've started my runs the last four years that kind of issue has gone away but so i've i've came down from that bad step and i've really aggravated that area so although i think it's one step that's caused it it's been an area that's probably been predisposed or at a bit higher risk for the last last few years unfortunately um so i on that run i was able to um, about five minutes later, I was able to jog pretty well pain-free. Um, just a few steps caused me a little grief after that, but I ended up I ended up canning the session, but just jogged around for about um, 45 minutes while other people were training. Mm, what was going through your head? Um, initially, I thought, shit, I've done something bad here. Um, but at the same time, the pain was similar to like a rolled ankle, but in a completely different part of the foot with no and no rolling, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so, so I thought, okay, well, that pain might just be something like that. But having been someone that hasn't had many injuries before, I was like, ooh, ooh that's not great. So almost like that annoyance kind of like throbbing, like it hurts, but it's kind of not too sore. Is that kind well, of the pain you're talking about? The initial pain, the one step was just like a really – bad kind of shot like the rolled ankle is first up yeah um so i guess that's what i mean there but then and then i guess in terms of my next two steps as i slowed down from that those two steps were also like okay boom boom on impact like they were they were three really painful steps 
Mm. You get back to the accommodation and what happens? Uh, so I um, we had a physio up there and he actually, the day before I did it, he actually gave me some treatment on my foot to try and, to try and help me. Um, but so get back. Oh, he was actually out at the airport helping the race walkers. So I, I kind of came by him and I said, mate, like this has happened. And he, he kind of had a bit of a play around with my foot, gave it a bit of, a little bit of treatment on the side of the road. And, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't sort of touch, um, on the surface or anything like that. So just kept jogging along. Um, and then I decided after that, I'd have that afternoon off. Um, and then, you know, I, for me, it was almost business as usual the next day. Um, there were there was a bit of pain early on in the run and and a little bit towards the end, but it wasn't too bad, and I'd hoped that it would just get better every day after that, but, but that wasn't to be. Yeah, but you're still, like, going off your Strava, you're still banging out some pretty big, like the next day was a bit lighter with, um, oh, you still got 20K out kind of thing, and then a 9K morning run, and or 9K afternoon run after that, and then a... 33 um, K run at 347 yeah, yeah so so I um I was really happy that next day with the the morning run I thought okay this is this is good the afternoon run that day was a bit painful and then I was a bit worried every time I had a long run or a session after that point I was quite worried about it um, so I warmed up a bit for that long run and then the plan was to do a couple of 10k efforts in there but just the way the way my foot felt, I just did 20k and a bit of a slower effort. So I think the 20k in the middle of that 33k long run was at about 326s, um, and to get through that 40 or oh, 36 48 hours after my foot, I was stoked and I was like, oh well, okay, this shouldn't be an issue um, for me. But as the days went on, the the problem became more of a warm up issue. So I'd get I'd get a lot of pain in the warm-up, but once I ran through that, I was pretty much good to go, and I could run normally again. Um, but over that next week, it started to get worse and worse by the day, which is when when the, the kind of guys that were with me at St. Moritz started to realise that like, there might actually be something going on here. I'm not just oh, in a little bit of pain to start some of my runs. Yeah, and were you waking out like those first steps in the morning, like really painful as well? Um. No, it was actually my foot at St. Moritz felt the loosest it had been in years. But as soon as I did my pre-activation stuff, um, which I had to do to actually be able to run, it would induce pain and then my foot was in a heap of pain um, going into the runs. Because I one of the runs, I thought, okay, I'm not going to try any of this pre-activation stuff. I'm going to see if I can just go straight out and run on this. One minute later, like, I had a bad step, and I was like, no, okay, i still got to stretch this issue out, and, uh, yeah, it wasn't great. And psychologically, we're starting to get into some some tough times when every run is just a chore to get out the door. Yeah, and I want to touch on that in a minute, but your Strava almost looks like a yo-yo, that week leading up to um, London. Like, there was a good day and a bad day and a, a good emoji and then a bad emoji and, like, the cheeky monkey emoji appears there a few times and it almost seems like you're going to pull it off and then two days later you're back to um, a negativity, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. So the the week um, that, I, that I did the 190K, so that second last week, 
there were there were good runs and there were bad runs and and that's that's probably a very good summary of what you said psychologically i'm i'm spending a lot of time focusing on the issue because it's hard not to um you know it's constantly on my mind am i going to be able to get through this session or or you know i've got a i've got a 50 minute session today okay tick these 15 k's of of work off and there's only you know 15 k more of fast stuff to do or um and that was starting to play on my mind in the days especially as it got worse i was i was reading a couple of books at the same time about how to how to shift your mental energy away from away from stuff like that but it was it was really hard at this point to to be able to do that especially when the problem was getting worse yeah um what were the books um, I was reading Peak Performance by uh, um, Steve Magnus. Steve Magnus and Brad, someone. So I was I was slowly getting through that. Not not re- really getting super into it, but um, I was I was chipping my way through. Um, but then there were some some things in there that you know I was like, I understood that yes, this is something I should be doing. But when you're starting to get this issue creeping in, it's hard not to think about it. Yeah, and is this all while that um, physio treatment's happening? Like you still haven't had an X-ray, it's still physio treatment day in day out. Yeah, we're at this point we're trying to work out some stuff that that will help. Um, kind of seeing if anti-inflams work, um, ice, um, compression treatment. We're kind of doing that and trying to find some some things that seem to help it because it did improve it did improve for a couple of days there but um i think inevitably uh, with knowing what i know now it was just going to get worse and worse the more that i ran um but at at that point you know i thought i get through this 190 k's of running this week i'm going to be fit for the race um you know things are going to get easier with the taper And, and at that point there was no there was no suggestion um, of what it actually is. Um, th- so no one thought that that was going to be what it was. So everyone was like, oh, no, it wouldn't be too serious, mate. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to run 190K on it if it's uh Was that the kind of mentality people were talking about? Yeah, they're like, mate, you're fine. You've run 190K <laughs> and and that includes, a, that includes a bike ride in there as well instead of a run. So it's essentially a 200K week. And if people are tuning in and are thinking, why is this guy doing 190k the week before the World Championship Marathon, it's best you go back and listen to a couple of the other podcast episodes with Josh Harris to see his uh, preparation in detail. Oh, and that's actually that's actually one thing that I can 100% take from this race that is right. I did a, still a big week the second last week before the marathon. My week before the race was cooked. It was terrible. And I still ran a bit, though, and I got to race day, and I wasn't in as good shape. Like, I'm telling you now, I'd lost a little bit of conditioning. Just off, like, five days light. Five, six days pretty light. So, yeah, so... So let's go Monday, race week. So it's still you're still at St. Moritz, and it's Monday. Yep. And you're on the bike. Um, Hang on. Monday, I did a session in the morning. Uh, I'm on the wrong week. You're, oh, yeah, you're yeah. Thirtieth. Your yeah. day got mixed up because of the time zones. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, on the session. The session I did a. Uh, I did a session on the Monday. Four and then by two we k. Uh, two by four k. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, 
went in for the scans Monday afternoon. Um, before we talk about the scans, I rode 40 minutes on the bike on Tuesday, but on Strava I put the foot um, thing to try and pretend it was a run. Um, <laughs> Wednesday, Wednesday I did 10K. Thursday I did 40 minutes on the bike. Friday I did um, 40 minute run. Saturday I did 20 minute run, and then Sunday was a race. So I I did 71k for the week, including race day, um, which is so I did about 39k going into the race. And just felt like junk, or um, oh, my my lungs were slightly off. My heart rate was too high. Um, so yeah, and my oh well. My my legs were my legs were gone early, but that might have just been because I was favouring um, other parts. So I can't hundred percent guarantee that, but yeah, I I definitely wasn't quite in as good shape, which is crazy. Like I, I don't know how it works, but you know, for me, that's that's just what it is. Mm, drop off really quick. Mm. It's good to know though, isn't it? Going forward, absolutely. Um, when did the scan happen? So Monday afternoon, we we went in and um, we got got an MRI and and the the doctor in Saint uh, the doctor in the Tonbridge team camp was was eagerly waiting the results from that um, and we got them pretty quick but um, we had to send him through a video of, of the scans so that wasn't wasn't a hundred percent accurate on his end but you know we sent the scans through and. And he's he's called me up um, not too long later saying, I recommend that you don't run. Um, you you running on Sunday, you risk permanent damage. Um, I recommend that you don't run. And so I was I was there with the physio and and Adam Jess's coach, and um, we kind of decided that they, they'd give me. I I didn't have to make a decision straight away, so um, they gave me a bit of time to think it over. Um, knowing what the doctor had recommended, um, and so I have a I have a small fracture in my talus bone, which is quite rare actually. Um, not many people that I've talked to have, have had it or have heard anyone that had it. Someone someone that has is Jen Lacay's. Um I was talking to her last night, and she did it um, when she um, jumped off that water jump a few years ago. Yeah, I remember that. So, yep. Yeah, so it's it's a pretty rare one, and I think that's why um, it's a pretty serious one as well. Um, did he give you a cause? Like, is it overtraining or just overload on that part of the body? Well, uh, it's probably the f- I don't know. This is where I'm looking at it. It's it's happened on that one step, but that one step has been at a predisposed risk for for several years. Whether it was whether it was because someone manipulated my foot, loosened it up, and I didn't have the proprioception that next day, I don't know. I'll never know. But the fact that I'd run through that, that foot for three or four years, there was probably already some stress in there, but it just took one bad one bad little incident to kind of um, do, what, uh, to do what happened to me. Yeah, it's almost like you were ticking time bomb. Like it could have been a... A stone in Launceston six months ago, or a stone at the Gold Coast, or a stone the week before the World Champs, and it's just um, gone. I would say so. Yeah. Um. So yeah, tell me about the headspace there. So I'm just going back to 
like the Josh Harris of probably 2015, you know, really trying to make the Olympics, Fukuoka 220, Rotterdam hitting that, trying to hit that qualifier and, you know, blowing to pieces a bit in the second half. Berlin again, another 220, and then finally getting that qualifier at Lake Biwa in March this year. And now, yep. yeah, the doctor's telling you you've got a stress fracture in your foot. Yeah, so I'm just I'm just there thinking, like, me, like, how has this happened to me? Um, you know, I've been able to string so much training together over so many years, but and he's saying... I recommend you don't run, and I'm, I'm there thinking. Even while he's telling me that, I'm like, mate, I'm running. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I haven't ran, I haven't ran for so many years to try and pull on an Aussie singlet at at one of the big three comps and getting there and not even trying. Like, uh, honestly, at that point, I would have rather just tow the line, run a couple of k, and step off the track. But, um. Given the training that I, I had still been able to do, I was still, and this is why the, the coaches and stuff allowed me to make the decision. They um, they had seen what the work that I'd done, and and there was no reason to fully suggest that I that I may not make it. Um, there were there were lots of possible outcomes as to would I make it, would I run well, would I do permanent damage, all that kind of thing. But at that point, my training had been relatively unaffected once i'd warmed up but my headspace was it was hard um it that whole week before the race it was constantly on my mind like the days were going so slow um i was saying to mum, i was like i just wish this 96 hours before the race would just disappear like i because at the point i was like race day is going to come i'm gonna try and fire up um, regardless, I just, but I'm going to be worrying the whole week. Um, so the doctor had said, you want to run as little as possible, um, the week of the race, if you are going to attempt to race, um, which I had, had decided I'd talk to, talk to about, um, 10 or 15 people back home and told them, told them the situation and, you know, every single person was, some of them were less kind of enthusiastic than others, but every single person was like, mate, you're running. There's no way you're not going to try um, on Sunday. And that's just who I am. And I guess I tr I've trained so hard to be here. It's probably why I'm here. There was no way that I was going to DNS on Sunday. Mm. And no one, um, I think, you know, most people would agree who follow your training that you deserve that singlet, you know, just as much as everyone else. But the... Did it frighten you that permanent damage kind of line from the doctor? Massively. Like, so yeah, running so much a part of your life, and just to be yep. able to think that you know you can enter a you want to go do Melbourne Marathon in fifteen years time and jog it with your you know brother yeah. brother in law in three and a half hours or something like. Did that kind of not being able to do yeah. that kind of basic stuff kind of scare you? That um, that scared me less because I've already the last three or four years I've already been a bit limited in life because of because of my foot so I'm kind of I was kind of used to that and I was like well that's not that's not huge like uh, I'm a little bit like ah, uh, you know we'll, we'll do it as it comes whatever the thing that the thing that really worried me was the rest of my competitive running so like I've got so much still to do um but as far as I was concerned, the risk of not getting this opportunity again 
you know that's that's a it's a significant risk um one that one that is probably in my eyes is probably bigger than the risk of me doing permanent damage to my foot um so but with that information um it scared me on wednesday on my 10k run i ran on the outside of my foot the whole run i did not even did not even touch the the middle of my foot that whole run um with that information in my mind which is which is strange because that whole 190k week before before i had that information in my head i didn't care but now he'd given me that advice you know i could not even put pressure through the middle of the foot because i was worried i was going to do permanent damage and so it was the same on friday and saturday i didn't test my the actual the main part of that talus out until sunday yeah, in hindsight, did you um, or do you wish you didn't get that information? Didn't even have the scan. Uh, I know it's a hard question because it's you know talking yeah, go, go in a time machine kind of thing, but like, was mm, it better not to know? Well, if he, yeah, if he had told me Saturday, or I don't know, the less I did it in race week, uh, race week, the better it turned out. So I guess it, it is better to know, but. It, it was hard. Hmm. So when I got into London on the Thursday, I had to go and see him. He, uh, the doctor, he he poked, prodded, gave me a, a couple of tests, and I, I passed the tests pretty well. Um, but he's like, "Don't run." Like my my advice is, is not to run. And so I booked in to see the team psychologist straight after that because I knew that conversation in person would be really hard, and I, I wanted to to kind of get my head back in a good frame of mind. Um, by seeing the psychologist, and that was that was really good. That helped me out a bit, but it was still that that worry on my um, hour worth of running on the Friday and Saturday. Um, like, would I be able to even get through the warm up? Um, would I be able to get to the finish? Would I be able to get to 10k? Um, all of those kinds of questions. But w- what we decided was, you've got to approach. Now you've decided to run. You've got to approach it like a normal race. If you think there's going to be pain, there's going to be pain. So try and block that out and think about the processes you'd normally go through on race day. Yeah, and I'm not sure if you can disclose it, but like, did the sports psych give you strategies or what was their role in the whole preparation of it, if you want to go a bit deeper? Um, basically just stuff that we'd covered in previous sessions prior to having a bad foot. So um, a couple of ways that you can block out the pain um, to your brain is by thinking about a couple of cues or things that help you um, and things that you do when you're running really well like um, you know it might be relax or um, cadence or how how's my breathing feeling or things like that that um, allow you to distract yourself from letting the pain go up into your head yeah right that's interesting isn't it um so then i guess the decision's made so then do you just try and like not even go there in your head like it's like decisions made i'm running you know just prepare as per usual or was that stuff still creeping back in like this permanent damage stuff or will i make 10k or like once a decision's made it's pretty black and white isn't it yeah yeah it is and the less that i talk about the better yep but it was still it's, it's something I couldn't block out. It was too big. It was too big of a factor to block out. Even, even in the in the race, even though, um, you know, I'd been told and we talked through that whole. If you look for pain, it's going to be there. It, it was still 
it was still part of my thought process, my foot, even in the early stages when I was running along pretty well. Yeah, right. Um, so before we get to the race, I wanted to, I'm a bit of a running nerd, so I always like talking about the behind the scenes kind of stuff. And I know there was a photo of you running on a treadmill with Mo Farah and like, where yeah. were you doing your training and what, what was the accommodation like? And like yep. in a village then to kind of talk me through, is it like all you can eat and is that Maccas and stuff like that or? You know. um, yeah, so the, we're in a hotel. There, is, there are at least three um, hotels for the teams. We're staying with quite a few countries, so like Great Britain, Netherlands, South Africa, Czech Republic, uh, Jamaica. So um, they're some of the countries that are staying at our hotel. It's um, buffet, buffet meals, like pretty much all from 6 a.m. Till, till midnight just with like, three or four hours where they shut off between brekkie and lunch and lunch and tea. Um, no Maccas. Um, so it's not, it's not like one of those team environments. Um, so even compared to world university games, it's, it doesn't have that. Um, and then the only reason that I ended up running with Mo was because my foot was cooked. I, I wanted to get in a controlled environment where, you know, I didn't have to worry about, unevenness and you know london is notoriously average for running um unless unless you got transport to the parks the good places like that um so from the hotel with a bat with a broken foot i wasn't going to be able to do a 40 minute run comfortably so i went down on the treadmill there and and just kind of set it up and controlled environment i could stop at any time if i needed to just so happened that while I'm about halfway through, Mo comes down and he's got his 10,000 that night. And I've kind of clicked in my head. I was like, this is Mo's pre-race shakeout. And um, so as I finished, I, I just said to him, I was like, do you mind if I grab a photo like while you're running? And he's like, yeah, yeah, like thumbs up. And then just said good luck tonight to him. So that was pretty cool. Shame that I've got a crappy, crappy <laughs> phone with a bad camera. But yeah, still cool moment. You can still tell. What kind of pace and stuff was he going? He looked like he was going slow. Yeah. Um, like I was, I was only going about five twenty pace per k. Um, he didn't look like he was going a hell of a lot quicker. Yeah, and he's got the head. I'm just looking at the photo now. He's got the headphones on and uh, yeah, just yep. chill it out. Yeah, pretty much, mate. Um, who are you rooming with and stuff? So I'm I'm in a room with um, Jack Colreevy. So he had a good run on Sunday, and it's. It's good to room with someone that finishes on the same day, so you know you're not distracting them by by going out and having a few beers and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And um, it would be a bit strange, wouldn't it? Like just get in the lobby, open up the elevator, not really sure who you're going to bump into. Yeah, you saying Bolt pops out? Yeah, um, I saw your photo with you saying as well. Yeah, so yeah, pretty much. It's um, yeah, so many elite athletes in the one spot. Okay, so let's go to the race day. So you've done the, um, you know, the shakeout with Mo two days before. You've done the easy twenty minutes, uh, the day before, and then yeah, you're warming up for the race. Yep. So I I'd planned to warm up pretty early because I wasn't sure whether that pain was going to go away, whether I was going to be able to run through the pain, all of that kind of all of that kind of stuff. So I started my warm up looking at Strava an hour and seven minutes before the race because um, we had a call room at that shut at 10.30. So um, 
So I gave myself 42 minutes before the call room to jog and to warm the foot up. Um, it came together pretty quick, to be honest. Um, I went out, I went out really slowly, kind of pushed through the middle part of my foot and got through that pain within about 2k, I reckon. Um, so I was like, okay, that's a box tick. I'm going to be able to line up. But then I was like, I've still got ages until I have to be in this call room. I have to keep my foot warm from now. So I went back to the area that the team were and just kind of stayed warm, did a few stretches for about 10 minutes. And then I went for another little jog. Um, so I did another probably six or seven minute jog just before we went into the call room. Um, to kind of keep warm because, again, we were then going into the call room and there was a chance that the foot could cool down prior to the race. Um, but, yeah, I ticked that box and I was happy with how the foot felt. So there was no there was no way that I wasn't going to be able to at least um, start the race and um, cover cover at least a lap, you know what I mean? Um, so that, that was a good thing. I didn't know at that point whether it would stay fine for the whole race. I obviously hoped, um, but wasn't to be. But the whole experience of the call room, seeing the other athletes, um, and then walking out onto Tower Bridge with the the crowd line and the both sides of the bridge, and just being so such a small marathon, like a hundred and eight or whatever there was. It was just like we had the roads to ourselves, and this was you know a pretty cool moment about to happen. Yeah, you weren't psyched out. Like, there's some pretty handy people hooking around. You got a bit of footage on Eurosports as well. I was sitting back on, must have been Saturday night here watching it. It was, uh, well, Sunday night. I'm not sure what night it was, but it was, um, yeah, they flashed over and all of a sudden you were front and centre on the TV. Yeah, well, everyone's there doing 100 run-throughs up the bridge, and I'm <laughs> like, uh, I don't, I don't want to do any more. I'm, I, I need to just start. You're like, man, I've got a broken foot, yeah. Hey, uh, and so, at this stage as well, like it's not common knowledge that like you hadn't announced it to your two thousand, you know, followers on uh, Strava or you know there wasn't a Facebook status to say look I'm running but I've got a broken foot so all this was still pretty in house wasn't it? Yeah, so that that Facebook and Instagram post I did before where I said to leave some messages that was honestly to just kind of fire me up because I knew the situation like I I knew how much support I had back home. You know, I just wanted people to kind of get around me and I, I knew there was a good chance that things weren't going to eventuate the way I wanted, um, but I wanted to get that support and I felt I felt bad not being able to tell Strava and the reason that I couldn't tell Strava and Facebook and stuff was because it, it's kind of part of team, team protocol that if you're racing, that, um, you know, you're racing, you don't kind of let those things out until after the event because um, it's part of the code of conduct, apparently. Yeah, right. So you were pulled aside and someone said, you know, just keep that on the low. Yep, pretty much. Yeah, right. Which is it's an interesting thing, though, isn't it? Because, you know, sometimes we get a bit harsh in judging people on their, well, I guess their performance rather than what kind of person they are. Like, you've probably had a perfect lived experience that no one thinks any less of you for pulling out of the world championship marathon as if they would have if you ran you know and finished in 25th position yeah yeah oh exactly right and that's that's why with all the with all the cards that that happened leading up to the race like there's no disappointment on my end um 
And so, yeah, everyone else, I think, is the same. They're like, well, you tried to run with a broken foot. Like, you know, good on you for trying. And I think there's some, um, you know, elite athlete to it's. I guess the general punter kind of can't relate to, but you're the complete opposite to that. Like you put every single run of one of your runs on Strava, you communicate to people when they, you know, there's some kind of elite athletes that have a stack of comments on their Instagram post and then they just ignore them. They just kind of never write back to their fans, but you're really a, a runner of the people. Yeah. Which, which made it really hard the week of the race um, to, to not tell people because, you know, I was told, oh, people be, this is before the, the diagnosis. They're like, oh, people might think that you're looking for an excuse or, or this and that. And, um, yeah, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I've always I've always said how it is on Strava. If I felt crap, I've commented that I felt crap, you know. And and it was strange the week of the race, like just changing those bikes to, like, the runs. People who – there was enough information there. There was no heart rate data, no, no – um, you know, the treadmill actually works when you run on Strava, but the bike kind of doesn't cover any distance. So for the people that really kind of were analytical about it, they would have been able to tell that I wasn't running then. Um, but, yeah, it, it was strange, that's for sure. Hey, you didn't, once the gun went off, though, you didn't muck around, like pretty much 3.15 average through the first uh, 10, 15K. Oh, yeah, so actually, um, while I remember it, given conditions out there, I... It, it wasn't a PB marathon condition as far as I'm concerned. It was it was hotter than my previous marathons. It wasn't hot, but, you know, it was like, like late on in Berlin, I'd say, um, yeah. temperature-wise, which you can relate to. Um, so maybe like 19, 20 degrees, sun was out. Um, it was windy. Um, and then the course, there were just a lot of corners. So I, I'm saying to myself pre-run um, – considering the foot as well i'm like okay if i can run 220 i'm gonna place pretty well here um and so i kind of went out with that with that kind of mindset and i sat myself at the back of the pack because i didn't want to be around anyone i didn't want my feet to kind of clip anyone else and um everyone kind of just went out at a decent pace so i just sat on the back of the the whole group for the first couple of k um and then I made the decision that they were going a little bit too quick and I wanted to run a smart, controlled race, which I probably would have made that decision had I been um, going towing the line with no um, foot injury. So I think I went through 5K in about 16.10 or 16.20, um, which, you know, that's fine. No issues there. And I'd seen a lot of guys that had already probably by that point, they'd went out too hard and they were going to come back in the last half of the race. Yeah, and then um, just looking at your splits, and I don't know how accurate they are because uh, so many twists and turns on course, even just following the TV footage, which was pretty ordinary because they kept flicking back to the heats and stuff in the stadium. I'm not sure if you've had the same feedback from people trying to yeah. watch it at home, but, um, yeah, it was super frustrating trying to, to see it. But it just seemed like every time they showed some footages were going around sharp corners, and I can imagine GPSs were jumping all over the place down there. Yeah, I, I stopped looking at my... Well, I didn't care about the GPS to start with, but um, I stopped looking at the distance and time because usually you can work out what pace you're on by that. Yeah. Um, and there weren't consistent K markers out on the course, like 5K splits at best. Um, okay, yeah, right. But I didn't care. Like, I knew my effort was, was kind of at a good level, but 
that's that three k section per lap with all the corners that that was tough. Um, you know, I'm I'm running so wide around some of these corners, and I I said to a Canadian guys, man, I've got a stuffed foot, so don't corner near me. Um, and but yeah, I, I ticked off the first ten k at a at a pretty good pace, and I thought, you know, if I can hold this together, um, you know, I should be able to should be able to run pretty well. Do you know what you went through ten in, mate? Uh, 32, 40 or 50, I think. Yeah. Okay, so things are still promising through 10K. Like, you're kind of talking that goal to run 220 and a lot of people are going to come back to you. Um, yeah. Yeah, what about the next 10K? Um, so through 15, 16K, going pretty well. Like, I'm, I was enjoying myself out there. The crowd was amazing um, because four-lap course, so, you know, roughly 10Ks a lap. The British crowd, they love the Aussies. There were so many Aussie, Aussie, Aussie chants. And then there were just so many people that I knew and that knew me. It was it was an amazing experience. So um, I'm so glad that I, I decided to run um, and didn't miss that. So, But, yeah, I got to the corner section on the second lap, and that's what really started to undo me. Um, by the time I came out of there, I, I was already kind of limping a little bit. I was still running pretty quick. Uh, well, not pretty quick, but, you know, 325s probably. Um, considering I was limping, I, I was moving okay. Um, and I think I split the half in 70. Yeah, okay. And then the decision to pull out? Okay, so go into lap three, and it's just getting worse and worse. And I, I went from the point where there's just the, the power through the middle of that foot, I'm just losing power with every stride. Um so I'm, I'm gradually just starting to run on the outside of my foot. Um, I still did a couple of, like, 335Ks in there, which, you know, given how bad I felt I was running, I was running pretty well. And, you know, I thought if I can hold this to the finish, you know, I finish in 230, whatever. Like, um, it's not the end of the world. Like, I'll get to the finish on, on this foot. But it just every... Every few hundred meters after that, it just got harder and harder and harder. And probably by 23 and a half K, I was down. I was over four minutes. I was running 4.15 pace and ran past some of my really good mates. And it was about a K before that that I decided I think I was going to pull the pin. So I ran past my mates there and just said, boys, this is probably the last time you're going to see me. Um, and then... I kind of decided in my head that it would be ideal to stop where my sister was. Um, you know, she was my main supporter that came out to watch. And she would have, from what I'd gathered, she would have been standing at about 28K. So I had to kind of grind out that next 15 minutes or so. And and what the crowd were, like, giving me so much support as well. And I'm, because at this point, recovery-wise, like, I'm, I'm cruising – I'm I'm giving some of them a bit of a bit of talk back, um, but yeah, they're like, "Come on, mate, you can keep going." And but I'd made the decision that um, at that point I didn't feel like I'd risk any permanent damage, which was which was a positive in my eyes. Another 15k on that, it could have taken hours. Like I don't think I was that far away from the point where I would have had to walk. Um, and I think I feel like there was a two-hour 45 cutoff. For the race, I'm not 100% sure about that, but that was in my head um, as being the truth. Um, and I was like, well, I'm not going to make that. 
Um, and, you know, I'd experienced two and two and a half laps, two and two-thirds laps of this course, the crowd. Doing another lap, that experience wasn't going to change. Um, the decision become really clear that I was doing the right thing. And um, so I made it up to where my sister was, and that's where we, we took the shirt off, as tradition is, and, and got the motorbike back to the start. Some people won't know that tradition, mate. Do you want to um, talk us through it? Yeah, so there's a there's a bit of an unwritten tradition that if you you DNF in the marathon in an Aussie singlet that you have to that you have to take it off. So um, I was I made sure before the race that I was fully fully aware of what the protocol was for that because I knew that there was a good chance of it. Um, and so, yeah, I tucked – I think people say you're supposed to throw it on the road. I'm not sure if they do. I just tucked it inside my shorts. And and then um, – so there's a, a bit of an iconic photo that some of the boys have had a bit of a laugh with me. And, you know, I'm more than happy to laugh with it too because I did everything I can. There's a photo of me, and it's the official AA tweet that I pulled out. It's me on the back of the motorbike with the helmet on and just the back showing – just no shit on. I've got it up now on my screen. It's a bit of a classic. Yeah, the boys said you're going to see that one. You're going to see that one for a while. So if I'm in this position in Doha in two years' time, then I'm sure people will be posting that on on my wall. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty funny. The helmet on, but no shirt. And and like this, the experience of being on the back of a bike as a DNF in a marathon, like there's a bit of shame in that, but. I actually had fun on the motorbike. Like I, I knew I'd given it everything I had, and so while I'm riding the motorbike, kind of head down, trying not to look at the crowd, I was secretly like, "This is this is pretty fun right now." <laughs> <laughs> Giving them waves and stuff. Oh no, I was pretending I was in a bit of shame, but I'd I'd done all I I'd done all I could. I, there was no there was no massive disappointment there from me. Yeah, and when you get back to, you know, the quarters or whatever, does that just feel a sense of relief, just lift off your shoulders? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I wish that I could finish, um, but I was just so, and I knew that this would be the case. As long as I'd, as long as I'd towed the line and I'd tried and I'd, I, I'd given what I had on the day, then, you know, there's no reason that I could, could be disappointed with it and people are like oh, oh bad luck bad luck but you know i was i was fine with it yeah yeah and then the aftermath so it's pretty early on in the championships and you still got another well it's probably 10 days isn't it before you would have had after your race till it finishes does that just party uh, mode a bit less bit yeah less, so yeah. so i'm currently now um oh on the Monday, I went back in to get scans, and this is this has been a real positive of being in this environment with all this medical stuff. Like I've got top of the line um, medical people, and also it's not coming out of my pocket really, which is which is good. Um, like I'm really really thankful for that. Not um, banging out so the Medicare card. Yeah, the old the old travel insurance. <laughs> um, so I I went in and got scans again on Monday and. And then, um, so I'm currently in a moon boot for six weeks at least. And then the doctor reckons it'll be at least three months before I can run. Um, so that kind of gives me a time frame of, of late, late 2017 running. So 
that rules out another marathon for Commonwealth Games qualification, etc. So really, I've got I've got so much time to get right. So the best thing is to just chill. If I run at all by the end of the year, you know that'll be okay. Um, so it, you know, the only thing on my agenda in the next in the next kind of nine months is hopefully World Half Marathon, and there's time to get fit for that. But if it doesn't happen, then I'm not stressed, and that leaves that leaves a long time to get my body right, which is the main thing at this point. But back to the back to the championships. Um, yeah, um, so good to be done early, and 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 that's what I said to people. I said if I try my best on the day, and that's all I've got, I'll be able to soak up the experience and just enjoy the championships. Whereas if I didn't start, I'd probably be you know, real disappointed, down on myself, and, you know, what if, what if. So, yeah, we're, we're like six or seven nights post-championships, and yeah, I'm certainly, I don't feel like a healthy individual at the moment. <laughs> and is there, like, official parties and stuff, or do you go to the track and watch the other events, or like, what are you doing with your time? There are, there are no official parties, so that's, that's kind of a case of fine, like-minded people who are, who are wanting to party, and you know, I've been, I've ended up most nights at, at one bar with um with a couple of very familiar faces now that I've met, and you know, the same people end up there um, every night, and uh, but I've had a I've had a couple of different crews to have um, some drinks with, so um, there's been some teammates that I've drank with a couple of nights, a couple of different teammates last night. The beer mile crew are here for the World Classic, so I went out clubbing in the boot on Thursday with those guys. Um, so there's been different people every night, which has been good. Um, but yeah, I, I think once I get home, I'm gonna have to probably start to think a bit more about my diet, and because I'm not gonna be exercising as much, and I'm gonna stack on weight. I know that, but I want to kind of keep relatively healthy when I get home. Yeah, back to that, uh, you started talking about World Half Marathon Champs. and But this, you've still got the BY time for Gold Coast Qualifier, yeah? I do, but it's already fourth fastest. So, okay, yeah. You know, the, the chances of making Com Games, they're not in my control. Um, and I, to, to me, Com Games, World Half Marathon, they're both on par with each other in my mind. Um, so... If I got the opportunity to be fit in March, April, I wouldn't care if I like got one of those. Like, I w- wouldn't prioritise one over the other regardless. And I haven't read the fine print, but I have heard that there's... Does it say somewhere that if you go to Com Games, you can't go to World Half? Yeah. yeah. So, the so you're in the box Mar- seat. Yeah, yeah. So, three... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, well, that's something that must motivate you to try to, I suppose, look at your diet and kind of keep uh, keep on track and do, you know, the water running and all those kind of things that you can cross-train to uh, keep that base there while you are in the moon boot. Yeah, it, it does. At the same time, I'm, I've got a pretty patient kind of attitude and I don't want to – I, I want to get fully right, um, so I don't want to risk coming back too early just to make one of those runs. Um, so I'm not too fussed in that, in that sense, but yeah, absolutely. I, you know, this will be the perfect time for me to enjoy not running for a bit because it'll be probably only the second time in my life that I've 
I've done that. Um, so I, I still want to make the most of that in a sense um, and not kind of grind myself by, you know, pool running 14 times a week or anything like yeah, that. give the body a um, rest. But, yeah, I, I would like to stay relatively healthy because non-weight bearing, I'm going to stack on a few kilos, I reckon. When all is said and done in three weeks' time as well, though, and you're um, in the moon boot and you're rocking up for a day CRT teaching in Launceston, are you kind of prepared for that downer phase that's probably going to come? Yeah, I know I know that's going to come. And there's actually the final chapter of that book that I read is it is kind of bookmarked to um, to read because it was, it was about finding your purpose. And I'm going to have to find a different purpose over the next over the next little while. So I'm going to go back to that, read a bit through that. But then also my purpose in the next four months is to work a lot more than I have, make a lot of make a lot of money um, while I'm relief teaching so that then when I'm back I don't have to do anything. So, you know, that I've got to get into that mindset that that's going to be what I focus on for a while. Yeah, and the worst thing you can do is sit at home and feel sorry for yourself, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But there, there is going to be a point in a few months where I'm, you know, I'm playing with my, playing with my gut and thinking, oh, geez, I'm sloppy and, you know. But it's just, I guess, I can't really, can't really change things. Um, so I'm just going to have to, you know, try and get a good bit of work. Um, you know, even though I'm in the boot, uh, that'll probably make teaching a bit easier. I won't have to, won't have to roam the rooms as much. Mate, um, might get off yard duty and all. Yeah, well, hope, yeah, exactly. So I might be in the boot for more than six weeks at school. Just pull it out of the car every morning before you walk in. Yeah. Eight weeks' time, you're still just whipping it out of the boot. I'm back doing 100k a week, but I'm in work. Hey, um, talk to me about the team mentality when you're at a world championships. Like, are you going to the track every night? You kind of mentioned before you witnessed the steeplechase last night. And, like, are you there and getting around the other members of the Australian team? This is a very, very good question, and this is like an eye-opening experience. So I've been to the track, um, I've only been three times, but that is partly due to the kind of logistics of the moon boot and stuff. Um, it's not the easiest to to do that. Um, but I, I thought going in, you know, it would be a massive, massive team thing. Um, like once you finish, you go to the track every night. You support your teammates and things like that. It's it's kind of hard because the, there's a stadium of fifty five thousand people. Like your teammates barely know where you are. Um, you know, regardless. So it's it's not like you can just stand on the fence and and kind of give them a high five as they walk out or walk off the track. Um, so like a lot of the team do go to the track, um, but it's not as big as I thought it would be. Um, and I might be saying that from someone who wasn't in the holding camp in Tonbridge, so I may not may not know the group as well, may not be in the group as well, but it's probably a little bit less of a teeny environment than what I would have expected. Um, World University Games, for me, had more a much more uh, significant team element um, than what this does, and... You know, I guess at the end of the day, this is a world championship, so every athlete has to be in some way selfish um, to focus on their performance and whatnot. And 
you know, if you contrast this to maybe an Olympics, I'm sure it would be quite different. Mm. What's the uh, the vibe like? The vibe's lifting. Um, Sally and Dane. Sally and Dane are, um, well, Sally's in the final. She's looking good. Dane's always uh, always going to be a chance. I think um, Danny in the discus, she, she's going pretty well. And we've had some good results over the last few nights. Like Brooke... Brooke was really good last night. Our two boys in the fifteen hundred, like I don't know if that's if that's just me, but like that lifted my vibe. Like I was so happy for those two boys, just missing the final. Like they they ran so well. Um, so the vibes are definitely definitely lifting. But yeah, there's a bit of truth to to the the fact that the team hadn't went so well over the first um, half of the competition. Yeah, two last questions for you, mate, because I've already taken up enough of your time. But I want to know, what has Josh Harris learnt about himself in the past month? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, I, I still like to hope that I'm pretty I'm pretty hard to break. Like, we'll, we'll see and we won't know for a while, but, you know, I, I'm not invincible. That's one thing. But if I can get this foot fully right... I don't know. I think I could maybe go back to some kind of, of that strength, and I might be even stronger than I was before. Um, obviously, we'll see how the recovery goes. But if I can get that one issue that's niggled me for four years right, if that is it, that's because I'm forced to not run for three months. Uh, if that means that I come back as as the same person I was just without that, then you know I'm going to be going to be able to hit some pretty good K's when I come back. Um, but yeah, obviously not invincible, and the timing of it sucks. Um, although, if that happened before Lake Biwa and I didn't get the opportunity, that timing would have probably been worse in my eyes. Mm. Um, so, I, I've learnt that um, that normal taper is not for me. Um, I've learnt that... Um, I've got so much support from people back home, and and when when a decision like this has to be made, you know, someone someone like my mum, for example, she's been the least pushy parent my whole life. I talk to her about what's going on, she's instantly like, "You're running," like, you know, things like that. people people just support. They know the the struggles you've been through to get there. Um, so I've got so many people on my side, and. You know, now I'm sitting here. I've been able to taste the opportunity, the experience of a world champs. I'm hungry to get that experience again, come back and redeem myself. Like Doha 2019, could be running the marathon in like 100 degrees. <laughs> but you know, I, I, I know London was a perfect opportunity to run a decent, decent condition championship marathon. But, you know, I want to be back here and I want to be running in 40 degrees and picking off people in the second half of the race. And you're talking about like a very, uh, I guess, limited opportunity. Like we had Australia had three marathon blokes in Rio, three in London. There'll be three in Doha. There'll be three at the Commonwealth Games. There'll be three at Tokyo. Like it's not a lot of people that get these opportunities. So to say you've been there and you've been on the start line and you had that singlet on is such a massive achievement. Yeah, it, exactly. And, and the fact that even coming in here, I was ranked fifth. Not third, not second, not first. You got to be realistic. Like I want to run two fourteen, like soon. Um, 
But you got to be realistic in the fact that I'm not in the top three best marathoners in Australia at the moment. Not quite. You know, this... And there are guys... You never know who's going to pop up. So the risk of Julian, not getting the Julian opportunity... Yeah, Brad Croker, Brady. Um, <laughs> just build them up, mate. Just build those two blokes up and we'll just act. We'll cut them down in that eight weeks' time. But, but the, the risk of the risk of not getting that opportunity again, it's it's present. Like, it, it's, I'm, it's not guaranteed that I'll be here again. Um, while it's happened early in the journey, and I hope it happens many more times, you know, it may not. So I have to go and run. Yeah. No, there's a, it's a no-brainer after that conversation. Hey, my final question, because I have all, you know, I, you know, I always ask the same question at the end, and we've already covered that in your past episodes, but I want to know, has it changed the way you view success now, this experience? Ooh, changed the way? Well, I, I guess it's relative, isn't it? Like, I I don't feel disappointed from that race um, because of the circumstance that I was put in. So, you know, I feel successful to be here. Um, had I not have hurt myself and I DNF'd, I would have felt so unsuccessful. So, I, yeah, I guess it's relative. Um, this is not what I expected from the world champs. Um, so I guess success is for each individual, whatever their goals are, whatever circumstance they've been faced with. Um, you know, you can take successes out of, out of a situation that's not ideal, I guess. Yeah, spot on. Great answer, mate. Hey, um, I've taken up enough of your time. That's about an hour and five minutes, and I know you've got a lot of world championship experience to uh, gather today. What's on for the rest of the day? Oh, so the the BMR World Classic is on today. So they want me to they want me to go and help commentate. So. Um, I'm going to try and get a couple of hours sleep in the afternoon because I'm so, so backlogged on sleep. It's not funny. Um, so if I can get a few hours sleep, get out there and go and watch the boys. Um, you know, Charlie Blanche is representing Australia today. So. He's living over there now, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he is. He, um, yeah, he's, he's in good form. So he's ran an 800 PB during the week and also had some really good drinking sessions so he's going to be he's going to be in good shape ready to go but um yeah i unfortunately i want to go and see the aussie team tonight but it's just like being in my position in the bmr community i kind of have to go out here and and watch and kind of have a few drinks with the guys yeah yeah are the big names over there racing as well um so the world record holder is actually not because of world university games coming up yeah but everyone else is except or lewis kent is injured um i'm injured but every other big name is there so you know seven of the top 10 of all time will be there on the start line it's pretty good for the sport of beer mile and two isn't it Seeing yeah that growth yep. yeah absolutely and they they've tried to recruit a couple of world champs athletes <laughs> rumor that um pierre boss is having a run. Wow, they just had him on the, you know, the TV show, The Project over here. Yeah, yeah. They featured him last night, just his uh, press conference afterwards, talking about how he's going to now go out and skull beers, and he, uh, yeah, was was out of shape, and he kind of made mainstream media over here, boss, so it might be interesting seeing if he rocks up. I hope he does, mate. I hope he does. He seems like a real uh, rare cat, I reckon. He'd be good (laughs) good to get on the pints with. 
Yeah, well, hopefully. <laughs> Beautiful, mate. Will you enjoy it when you're back? Um, so I've got like four or five days with um, some Tassie running mates that are over here for Worlds. They're off to Amsterdam on Monday. I'm going to join them. Um, so I'll be drinking a few pints with them and then um, back home next, oh, it's like Sunday, Monday, so about eight, nine days away. Beautiful, mate. Well, thanks again for giving up some time. That, um, you know, that insight you've given the listeners tonight about all the things the village kind of uh, throws up at you and that kind of race day experience and training in all parts of the world with some uh, pretty credentialed runners is pretty insightful. And yeah, really appreciate your time coming on again. Oh, no worries, mate. It's been good. We'll, we'll talk soon. All right. Catch up. Thanks, mate. There we go. That was episode number 41. We've come a long way with the podcast since uh, the very first show with Josh Harris and now the the 41st release of Tell Me Your Tales. And I must say a massive, massive thanks to you, the listeners, for tuning in each week and getting around the show. A special mention to Liam Hilberg and Timmy HD, who both left us a review on iTunes this week. We're up to 32 five-star reviews now, which is fantastic. That's just a way you can support the show. Um, thanks for your comments there and by supporting the show in that way it just helps us go up in the charts on iTunes and yeah it gets a bit of exposure a bit of kind of like free advertising for the show to get to more people so if you've got a couple of minutes on your weekend or after work or whatever after you run um, if you could jump on iTunes and just yeah tell me what you think and go from there that would be fantastic hope training goes well this week whatever you're up to is going well and I'll talk to you again next week bye bye
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 